guilty of murder or serial murder or rape or theft or complicity in a crime or conspiracy to kill, whatever the crime would be, when we extend that to all living beings, all living beings love life just as much as you and I and all of our friends and everybody watching. I give the example is what if your son was in the backyard with a, a fishing line and a hook and he threw out the hook and he was catching the neighbor's dog and caught the dog, it was a Labrador, and he was pulling in and you look out the window and you saw your son doing that to a dog. What would you do to your son? They all suffer from the moment they are born to the moment they are killed. They are suffering. And when people continue to have excuses, whatever it is, it's my culture, my grandma did that for me, I need my protein, I have blood type ABC, whatever, that's all bullshit. Welcome back to the Plant-Based Podcast Asia, the place to inspire, educate, and connect. I'm your host, Nick, and today I'm sitting here with Tom Ratzienda. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for inviting me. Tom is an author of several books. Some of them are here. We're going to have a quick look at them in a little while. Um, Tom has been living in Thailand for over 30 years, and um, you've been a teacher as a at the university for the first 12 years right? right before you changed your lifestyle quite a bit around and I think this is where I want to start today about um, what was the the key turning point where your life shifted from being a, a teacher at the university to starting teach about Reiki um, and compassion plant-based food, plant-based lifestyle, holistic living. Where did this transition uh, started and take place? You know, Nick, I can point it to a single day, October of 01, walking down the street in Bangkok, and something clicked inside of me so spontaneously. And this was the time where the American military was bombing Afghanistan. And, and I was very political at the time, and I was so angry that this violence was going on. And, and the country where I was born was bombing people in Afghanistan, innocent men, women, children. I was so angry at that. But I never realized how violent I am when I sit down and have some pork or a chicken or a fish or a cow. I never saw that as violence. I saw that as breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I'm walking down the street, coming home from university. This is in 01. And my eyes was like, I am just as violent is every soldier, every military in the world killing men, women, children in Afghanistan or any other country. And I, I, I went vegetarian. I thought, I can't eat animals anymore. That is an act of violence. That was the first thing that really started me on this plant-based path. Wow, that's, that's very deep, very powerful. So, so then how did you integrate that into your life after that sudden awakening, basically, we could say, right? So what, you woke up the next day and you just decided now you're a vegetarian? Or? It, it was in that step. If we were on a soap road in Bangkok, I could show you basically the same exact square where the world, let's say the world was in black and white and suddenly it was in color. I'm like... I have got to change. I, I can't do this. I cannot sit here and blame the military while I myself am eating pigs and chickens. As it was that day, I stopped and I ordered uh, fried kale, which in Thailand, of course, is normally eaten with uh, the fat of a pig. And I just said, okay, I want the fried kale, but no pig. And I sat there eating my first consciously chosen vegetarian meal. I got home, I talked to my wife, and I said, my, this happened to me half an hour ago. Uh, now I'm vegetarian. How did she respond to that? Or yeah, she was okay. It wasn't like I was going to you know, change anything in her life. It was me that was changing. Actually, I continued eating animals from the sea for another six or 12 months. I, 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 had, I deluded myself that it was okay to eat animals from the sea for about a year. So I'd eat fish and squids and 
uh, all that kind of stuff. And step by step, I realized I, I can't eat a squid. That's an act of violence. I can't eat prawns. That's an act of violence. I can't eat a fish. That's an act of violence. So, so it took about a year to go from originally it was pescatarian to vegetarian. And, and life just went on. It was normal because that was diet. It wasn't the deep vegan consciousness that I'll be talking about today, the way I live my life today. It was just realizing you can't eat them. You can't eat those bodies. Well, it was the start of a long, long journey. A revolution, Nick. Right, right. A real revolution. So fast forward a little bit. Now you're living here, your life in Chiang Mai. And um, again, you're an author of several books. So you're teaching about Reiki. Uh, Tom, he has uh, written... I think it's it's the first Reiki book in Thai, I guess. Yes. yes. For people that are not out uh, familiar with Reiki out there, I mean, it's about personal transformation. It's about healing work. Very powerful. Um, I'm a big fan of your books. Thank you. Um, and also, you have written both, also in English and Thai, the um, Holistic Compassion, a booklet, right? Yes. Or Kin Doi Meta in in Thai Thai language. What inspired you to write those booklets and share a little bit about the journey from that moment in Asok, fast forward to Chiang Mai, <laughs> writing booklets, before we start to talk about your new book? Okay, cool. I have to fast forward quite a bit. So the story I related earlier, that's 2001. Come around 2012, I started thinking more about getting rid of the eggs and the milk. But I was hesitant. I thought, no, milk and eggs, no big deal. And I understood there was violence, but I, I continued to, to deny it. And I was having some problems with my back. I had inflammation in my lumbar area. And I thought, you know, if I just stop eating all animal products, maybe I will heal myself. Well, that's not how you solve a lower back problem. You need a physical therapist for that. But what happened is it cleared up my ears, my sinuses, uh, my mouth sores. My whole body was detoxifying. This is within a few months after st stopping all eggs, milk, cheese, and yogurt, things like that. And so then I went vegan. This is 2012. It wasn't until around... August of 2014, when something really clicked for me, I happened to be in the United States looking after my mother. She was very ill at the time. And so I, I moved to the States for that year, looked after my mom, and I would take her out socializing to, to meet different people and joining vegan groups and trying to make some friends. And I, I saw I met an American guy who had booklets like this. And what they did, they handed them out in colleges on the campus. And I thought, oh, I've never heard of that. You know, standing on a street corner handing out brochures sounded quite weird to me. <laughs> but I started thinking about it. It's like, you know, I really believe in this. I really, more than believe, it's, I know that it's wrong to eat an animal. I know that it's wrong to pay somebody to kill an animal and for me to then eat that animal. Can I start speaking up about it? So it's quite weird. By that time, I was about 50 years old, and I'm on the street corners handing out booklets to to kids, 19, 20, 21 years old, and just talking about things that I felt were so important. And a real change occurred for me. And this is so important, and it's the difference between being pescatarian, you don't get this. Vegetarian, you don't really get it. Being plant-based, because you're an athlete or something, which is good and I support that, but you still don't quite get it. It's when we go vegan consciousness this awareness that we can see something in this world that is so unjust, so wrong, so violent, it's a crime. And we see that with such clarity. It's really hard to be quiet about it. Can you share a little bit more about the term that you just mentioned, vegan consciousness? Vegan consciousness is when we've become vegan deep from within the heart. Let's say plant-based is here. I only eat plants. But the vegan consciousness is deep down inside. It's like I have a, um, not an obligation, a duty, a commitment to all living beings. And this got me thinking, I need to write my own booklets. I already had the Reiki book that you talked about, so I was teaching Reiki, meditation, self-healing. But I realized my students are not going to get better if they continue to eat animals and animal products. So I started bringing in more and more nutritional things, and the nutritional things lead to the change in consciousness. 
to the point where the new book coming out, uh, Hands-On Spiritual Liberation, maybe you saw in the draft I showed you, dedicated to... All sentient beings, All right? sentient beings. Right, yes. right, right. All sentient beings. You know, my previous books were to my mom or to my dad or to my family and friends, but this is for all beings. Right, and what I, I mean, I was lucky enough to get a draft <laughs> of your new book, and what you're doing there is you're basically doing something that hasn't been really done before. You're combining, um, well, diet, basically vegan food or vegan consciousness together with Reiki, with uh, healing, with meditation. Um, that seems like quite a new approach, right? To really cover all those areas because many books, they're just focused on nutrition, just focus on diet or just focus on Reiki, like your previous book or yes. focus just on like this healing. Um, so how did that all come together? Uh, 15 or 20 years of teaching and healing and meditating and being vegan and doing Reiki. And this awareness just came. Uh, back up a little bit, you, you used the word combining. And I thought, wait a minute, it's not combining because they are already inherently one in a very holistic way. Hmm. It's only us, us modern humans who separate things. No, nutrition is over here, and meditation is, you know, no, that's the Buddhist over here, and Reiki is, like, no, that's those people. It's one single thing. And so we need to do all those practices together. Mm -hmm. So if you only do Reiki, but you continue to eat animal products, you're still going to get cancer, heart disease, obesity, high blood pressure. If you meditate eight hours a day, you have a great mind, but you're still committing violence through your food choices. And what you mentioned, too, when you look into the genres, for example, the great nutritional books, let me just choose a couple, uh, T. Colin Campbell's The China Study. Great book, we've read it, we're influenced by it. Dr. Greger wrote uh, How Not to Die, and there are many, many authors like this. They write, uh, write great books explaining the nutrition, but those guys, they don't talk about the ethics. Fair enough, they're medical doctors, but somehow ethics are completely separated from nutrition. I think, no, 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 let's, let's put them together. Similarly, if you look at the New Age genre of spiritual books, I, I saw one the other day, it was like, you do this three times, do this six times, do that nine times. But you continue eating dead animals. I was like, how are you going to develop your deep, deep spirit when you are contributing to the death of animals and then eating that dead body, putting it in your mouth and letting it rot in, in the morgue, which, which is the intestines, so close to the heart where we talk about love and compassion, but we store these dead animals in our bellies for 48 hours. Somehow, the spiritual books, almost all of them, totally skip this. They don't even touch it. The exception, of course, is books coming from the yoga, the, the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita. As we know, Indian is lar uh, India is largely vegetarian. So it's built into their culture and into their society. So uh, a, a proper yogi, a proper yoga teacher, the first word in the books of yoga, it's ahimsa, which is nonviolence. Mm -hmm. Nonviolence towards all living beings. But most people who practice yoga skip step one and they go to headstands. <laughs> and they just skip the part about, yeah, but for breakfast you contributed to the death of a pig. And for lunch, you contributed to the death of a chicken. And for dinner, you contributed to the death of, of a cow and a fish. It's like, yeah, but I can do headstands. It's like, yoga is not about headstands. It's about the heart. Same is true for Reiki, for meditation, for Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, all the great religions, Judaism. Very it's, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. And to do that, you need absolute nonviolence, which is loving kindness, or I call it in this book here, holistic compassion. Very powerful. So let's dive a little bit deeper into your uh, new book, Hands on Spiritual Liberation. So first of all, who is this book for? Who should read this book? I should be asking myself that question. It's so tricky, Nick. <laughs> I realize 
I mean, if we're talking in marketing terms, I mean, it is for everybody. Of course, I want everybody in the world to read it. But more realistically, who can I market this to? Anybody who's plant-based will greatly benefit, whether those people are vegetarian, I think this book will persuade them, it's like, oh, I need to go vegan. And if you're already vegan, which, or, or let's say you're already plant-based, then have the understanding of, oh, it goes deeper than that. It's not my diet. Veganism is not a diet. Plant-based is a diet. Veganism is a, it, it's a spiritual path when you realize your love and commitment for all beings. So wherever somebody is on the spectrum, I would like to inspire them to go from, let's say, pescatarian to veg, veg to plant-based, plant-based to vegan, from vegan to a meditating vegan, an exercising vegan, uh, an energy healing vegan, taking everybody that next step. For the general public, I think we can also bring people in, anybody who says they're on a spiritual path. And that's why the book is called Spiritual Liberation. It does, it's not called Vegan Liberation. Mm -hmm. But I shine light where most spiritual authors will not talk about this. And I've checked this when I checked the genre as I was developing my book. And publisher after publisher, author after author, I'm reading, I'm reading, not a word about nutrition or violence or compassion. It's all about the mantras and chanting and believing and looking in the mirror and high fives and all kinds of stuff, except the main source of our energy, the things we eat. Hmm. So I want to naturally bring these, these together. And you've probably seen me this when we've had courses together. It's all about how we think, meditation, how we eat, veganism, and then our exercise becomes part of that too. You know, how we live our lives. That's how we get healthy. That's why I've been talking to you the last couple of days about what about this expression, this book saves lives. Hmm. And, and you say, well, that's a you know, really good marketing slogan. Another friend says, well, it's true. And if I'm in the business of telling the truth, and I think I am, Nick. I think that's where I've landed here in my, my 60th year. I'm in the business of telling the truth. And I know some people say, yeah, yeah, you know the truth, but nobody else does. No, no, we all have access to different types of truth. But this book is very much experiential. So I try, I resist telling people what to think. Of course I do, actually, I have an ego. Getting people to do the practices. Practice the meditation, the Reiki, the exercise, changing plant-based one, two, three meals a day, and then taking that vegan pledge, if you like, of vow, I will never hurt another animal as long as I live. Wow. And when you make that vow, you're powerful. Just making that vow, you're, you're, you're just solid. You're so solid. It's, a, it's an inner vow. Very powerful. What I really like about the, the book is also that it's quite, um, you put like a practice or like a kind of an exercise or I'm not sure how you call it in the, in the book, but like something that the people can actually apply in their lives, right? So the, can you share a little bit about how you structure the book? Because I think this is quite, um, um, you know, useful to the reader because it's not just information like some of the books that you've mentioned before yes. that are focusing more on nutrition but it's actually it's taking you through a certain curriculum we could almost say right it's, it's going through different phases and different steps so share a little bit about the layout of the book and what the reader can expect about you know going through those phases of course each and every person has to experience that for themselves because i've read it and even though I already eat vegan for, you know, several years, it's, you know, it's powerful, mm. you know, it's powerful again. So, um, yeah, please go on and share a little bit about, about the layout and what okay. the reader can expect. Okay, excellent question, Nick. It's, it's really broad. It's five phases. Altogether, it's like 51 chapters. The first phase, I will introduce, let's say, two or three meditation techniques some suggestions for exercise to get people going, some hands-on healing, basically, you know, just put your hands on your heart and say, hey, I'm taking the time to take care of myself. I don't get real th theoretical. 
I just say, hey, take the time, put your hands on your heart or on your throat, wherever it hurts, give yourself some energy. And make dinner plant-based. And then I make several suggestions. I'll try this Italian food or Mexican food or something that would be good food, enjoyable, and is plant-based. So, so phase one is getting the ball rolling, making some of these small changes in your life. Concurrently, I'll ask people, whatever you use with social media, and I think I use the average three hours a day, I say cut it back to two hours a day. Because when you cut back, let's say, this social media, that social media from three to two, now you have an hour free. So you have half an hour for meditation, half an hour for uh, hands-on healing, maybe a little more time for exercise. In phase two, I bring more meditation techniques, again, deeper and deeper, step by step. The problem is some people think, okay, I'm going to meditate. Oh, I think too much. I can't do it. And they quit. <laughs> and I've heard this from, let me not exaggerate, hundreds of people hundreds of people, I cannot do it, I meditate too much. It's like, hello, that's the first true observation as a meditator. I think too much. So the point is you don't quit then, it means you begin, the job has begun. So I take people through various steps, for example, observation of the breath, grounding, being well connected in the physical body, awareness of the thoughts, the silence between the thoughts. And then another thought comes up, and then that goes. And really cherishing the silence between the thoughts. The thoughts are not a mistake when you're meditating. Thoughts are part of the process. There's a thought, and there's silence, and there's another thought. So observe them all. When we compare that to breathing, there's a breathing in, and there's a breathing out. And then there's that rest time. Let's say at three, four, or five seconds. And then the lungs naturally bring in the next breath. So it's a continuous cycle. There's breathing and there's thinking. Just observe that. That's what meditation is. You don't stop breathing and stop thinking. You continue breathing naturally, thinking naturally, but with awareness. So you're developing your consciousness. So even when people say, I have failed as a meditator, it's like the only way to fail is to quit. As long as you're practicing, and even if you meditate, and for 20 minutes you're ruminating, oh, my boss is so bad, or I have such a problem with my partner. Oh, I was meditating, oh, 20 minutes already. <laughs> right, and but, I think but... <laughs> there, is this, there is this great illustration in your book too, where it's, it, I think it's like, focus on breath, thought comes, yes. become aware of the thought, and then go back to and the, bring it back. Yeah, that's just a cycle. Yeah, right? yeah. And a friend, uh, the, bo the book has some illustrations, as you saw. A friend of mine in, in Bangkok did all those illustrations, and it, it took us like six months to come up with all of that. And it really shows that that's a natural process. Mm -hmm. So by phase two, you've been practicing. And, and I'll tell the reader quite often that you need to set down the book and practice. Otherwise, this book is just theory. Right. And we don't need more theory books. Right. What to think, what to believe, what to have faith in. Practice. Do it. Do the meditation, do the exercise, cut down the social media, and now let's start making your breakfast plant-based too. And so I recommend a bunch of things. In fact, you contributed some of the recipes for uh, the, the book too. It's like you, know, you can make this from Switzerland, make this from Thailand. So many plant-based foods. So many more than people who are eating products that come from animals, which is what about about seven or eight or nine items, and then plant-based is like I don't know, without exaggerating, five hundred things. Mm -hmm. And if you start multiplying in the different cuisines that you explore, when you stop eating animals, you begin exploring other cuisines. Right, the new world is opening up. Right, that's it, Nick. Right. You say it so well. So things like couscous. What's that? Fatouche. What's that? Baba ganoush. <laughs> I've heard of that. I think my brother likes it. There are so many things like that. Right. So this is phase two. Phase three is the, the middle portion. And I continue just adding little, as we say in Thai, little by little, a little more meditation, a little more Reiki, 
a little more intense exercise. We start off at a half an hour, an hour up to an hour, almost every day. I don't say every day because that, that's too rigid. You miss a day, you failed. But if it's almost every day, and the same with meditation, it's almost every morning, almost every night. And people always ask, well, how long should I meditate? And you probably know my response already. Is if, I, if I say an hour, you're going to fail. If I say 10 minutes is okay, 10 minutes people stop and think, okay, I did my job. So I use a trick. I'll say, whatever you can do plus five minutes. And I'm true to my word. This morning I was sitting meditating. Uh, I, I don't look at a clock, but it, it, in retrospect it was about 35 minutes and my leg was really hurting. You know, I'm not 21 years old. My, my knees hurt. I thought, okay, five minutes of leg. And I started thinking about how much my, my leg hurts. Like, yeah, okay, it's only five minutes. I probably won't die. And sure enough, after about five minutes, I thought, okay. So you add five minutes. I call that the growth zone or the discomfort zone. Right? Like we, that, always, yeah. we always talk about the growth zone. Mm -hmm. But the other part is like the, the discomfort zone, like... This sucks. This hurts. Well, it's when you're getting out of your comfort zone where growth happens. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you get into that zone. So if you can sit 20 minutes, I'll say, Nick, go for 25. And if your colleague uh, can, can sit for 30, I'll say, go for 35. Somebody else can do for 10, uh, go for 15. So there's, there's no real force. It's just more like, you know, I'm going to challenge myself. Okay. But as we progress in the book... Phase four? Phase four, I will say, by this time, naturally, the duration will probably be increasing. Because in phase four, uh, I add a couple of more complex meditation practices. So if you've done the awareness of the breath, the grounding, there's one where you're smiling meditation, you're aware of the thoughts, you're aware of the silence, physical sensations, emotional phenomena that arise, by the time you get to that level, you're already into a 40 or 45 minute meditation. It will naturally come as you develop yourself. Same for exercise. You know, if you exercise every day for 30 minutes, eventually you're gonna get up to 45 minutes because you're more and more fit. Mm -hmm. right. In phase four, I, I talk more about the energy healing because I'm more confident now that the person's energy is more pure and stronger. So when the, the reader, when the student is putting their hands on their throat to help heal, let's say, communication problems, or maybe at the uh, solar plexus because they have some self-esteem problems, they start feeling that warmth. They start feeling that confidence, like, wow, I'm a person who I really take care of myself. I take the time to solve my problems. I take the time to get rid of my stress. I'm really dedicated to my own well-being, the way I think, the way I eat. So in phase four, I suggest, in no uncertain terms, it's time to go purely plant-based. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all your snacks, everything that you eat goes plant-based. And that brings changes, too. And, with, and there's a lot of resistance here, too. Whoever's going to read this book, if you're already vegan like yourself, you're not going to resist these ideas that I bring up. So I have to be a little persuasive, yet pretend that I'm not telling you what to think. <laughs> and that's tricky. That's tricky because right. I know what I think. I know what I believe. I know what works. I know what the science says. I, I've seen all my friends and students on this path, and it works. So inspiring this, you know, most of my readers are going to be strangers. I'm not going to be sitting having coffee with most of the readers of the book. So if somebody is an eater of animals, they may be resisting it. So throughout the book, I have all kinds of ways to inspire, which is my good side, challenge, that's my teacher side, get tough. I'm not a very tough guy, but my, my words can be quite tough to say, at some point I'll say it like, okay, gentlemen, if you are still eating animals, you, you need to think about this situation. I give the example is what if your son was in the backyard with a, a fishing line and a hook, and he threw out the hook, and he was catching the neighbor's dog, and caught the dog, it was a Labrador, 
and he was pulling in, and you'd look out the window, and you saw your son doing that to a dog. What would you do to your son? You'd scream. It's like, what in the world are you doing to the neighbor's dog? And you'd go save the dog, get the hook out. Oh, my God. But yet, so many men, women too, but more, more often we think of men as fishermen, throw out the hook, you catch a mouth, uh, catch a fish by the mouth, and you drag it around the lake for half an hour, and then you take pictures of the animal you just killed. What kind of a bloody sport is that? Hello, I just killed an animal. Oh yeah, you have to feed your family, no doubt, but it's a trophy. And so I make the comparisons. What if somebody were to hurt your dog or your cat? And it gets stronger and stronger is, you know, women too. You know, in, in our age here in the 2020s where, you know, equality between the sexes is so important. But when you look at the way we treat animals, the female animals actually suffer a lot more than males. The males are lucky. They're killed and it's over where the females, if it's a chicken, she's kept in a cage for two or three years, you know, a cage like this, you know, laying eggs, chemicals, eggs, more and more hormones, eggs, and then she's too weak, then she finally gets killed. Cows, I mean cows, I don't know how long they live, two to three years as, as a dairy cow or as a tortured cow, a sexually abused cow, Oh, I want my milk. I like my cafe latte. It's like, yeah, but you are sexually abusing the cows. And by that I mean they are forcibly impregnated. A man takes what's called a sperm gun and inserts it deep inside the vagina of the cow and impregnates her. So she will have a child and then continue lactating so they can continue to steal the milk. And some people will say, well, that's natural. It's like, natural, my ass. Uh, Nick, how long did you drink milk? Your mother's milk. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for years. Year, I guess, right? <laughs> years. Yeah, maybe maybe two in some cases. Did you ever drink the milk of somebody else's mom? No. No, neither did I. Not did, that I know of. <laughs> but you probably drank the milk from the mother of a different species. Right, which is even weirder. It's bizarre. Was it elephant milk you grew up on in Switzerland, or, or <laughs> giraffe milk, or, or teddy bear milk, dog and cat milk? They're all mammals. No, it was human, and then it was cow. It's insane. And so throughout the book, and in phase four, I'm getting stronger and stronger. I'll have to admit, I probably become impatient with people continuing to eat dead animals and to support the suffering of those animals, quite specifically the females of the species, have it actually much worse than the males, because they suffer, 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 and then they're killed. Where the males grow up, get fat, and then they're killed. So it's, it's a shorter period of time of suffering. They all suffer from the moment they are born to the moment they are killed. They are suffering. And when people continue to have excuses, Whatever it is, it's my culture, my grandma did that for me. I need my protein, I have blood type ABC, whatever. That's all bullshit, for lack of any better words. And I'm sorry, it's a spiritual book, but in a spiritual book, sometimes you have to call it what it is. And there's a new sentence in calling it what it is. I was at the, the mall in, in Chiang Mai, Maya Mall one day, and there was a young guy from New Zealand. We happened to share a table together. And we're talking about you know, plant-based types of things. And after a few minutes, he goes, yeah, but I like steak. And I about <laughs> went ballistic, but you know, I'm calm. I was like, hmm. And, and I, I didn't say it to him, but I say it in the book. You know what steak is? It's dead cow marinated in piss. Research the facts on that, and you'll realize that when a cow a cow naturally has urea, the main component of urine, in, in its muscles, we all do. And that's what the kidneys do, is they pull out that urea and we urinate it out. That's what gives the so-called steak, what I call a dead cow, a meaty flavor. It's the urea that when you grizzle, what's the word, sizzle, 
on the grill. I sort of made up, made up that grizzle the word. You sizzle that on the grill, what you're smelling is burning urine. That's gross. <laughs> that is bloody gross. So when this column was the dude's name, nice guy, 20, 25 years old, traveling around the world, and we, we shared a table, and he, he saw me ordering some vegan food, so he goes, yeah, I'll have what this guy's having, because he didn't speak Thai. And then we got into this conversation. I was like, well, if we're going to call it, call it what it is, if we want to talk about the truth, then we have to say what it is. It's dead cow marinated in piss. And if you could go into the Argentine steakhouse in this city or that city and say, yes, I would like the uh, dead cow marinated in piss with a, with a salad. Or if the menu, can you imagine if menus told the truth? Wow, that would be powerful. Oh, yeah. man, we should make a menu like that. That would be powerful. Well, uh, one question that I often get from people that are interested in a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and they're about to transition to, to that, um, like they're not quite sure how to go about that. Like should they go just like from one to the other day fully vegan? I know your book is, is teaching or is sharing more about, you know, go step by step. But I think there is still a lot of confusion about the right way to, to do that and the best way to do that so they don't feel like maybe a lack of energy and then they feel like, oh, this is nothing for me, right? Please share to all the listeners out here that are like interested now and inspired after this talk that they're feeling like, wow, I want to take the first step today because that's basically, you know, what we want to inspire here on this show, on this podcast to inspire right. the people, educate, make the connection also. So how can they go about it? Brilliant question, Nick. I can go back a little bit. Uh, hand me the book, please. When I wrote this in, um, it was right before you and I met, 2015, let's say it was 2015, the suggestion there is to eliminate one type of animal from your diet. For example, don't eat cows in the first month, and then the second month, stop eating pigs. The third month, stop eating chickens. And that seemed logical. It was progressive. It gave people six months to make the okay, change. Okay, so it's a six-month process. Yeah, but that's 2015. Zoom forward to 2023, I think, doesn't work. Because people stop eating cows, they just eat more fish. They stop eating uh, pigs, then they eat more chickens. It's not solving the problem. They stop eating animals, they eat more eggs. And that's why I came up with, in the new book... And this is chapter, uh, phase one, two, and four. I introduce those changes. And it's a commitment that my evening meal will be plant-based. That is my vow to all beings. After whatever, four or 5 p.m., I don't eat any animals or their products. I don't cause any suffering. I see, so rather than taking out like one animal, yes, like step by step, you're just changing like a meal, step by step, basically. Step by step. And that allows the body to gradually make the changes. Because what happens, and you mentioned this in your question, if I go vegan overnight, three weeks down the road, I feel anemic or weak or such and such. And it's like, oh my God, I need fish. And you go back to eating a dead fish, and in fact, they do feel better mm. because they detoxified too quickly. Mm. And so depending on how, some, how quickly somebody reads this book, if you read it cover to cover, okay, you're not practicing. But if you're practicing step by step, it might take three or four months to get through the book. I won't say read the book, but to proceed all the way through to the end of, of phase five. To get through that, you're making a lot of changes. At the same time, I'm giving spiritual inspiration. I'm asking questions about people's religion. It's like, what do they teach in your religion? You know, what do you, when you swear to God, what are you swearing? Or if you don't have a religion, well, then what's the deepest truth in your own heart? Are you an honest person? Are you a sincere person? And, and we all are. Anybody that's going to be involved in watching this podcast or reading this kind of book, we're all sincere. We're not serial killers. But damn, we are. Most yes, of are. us are serial killers. And, and this is one of the strongest points that I'm afraid to publish because I have some really great friends who have little kids. And I'm scared to death for them to see my, my, my spoken work or my written work because I say 
if you feed animal products to your kids, they will continue that process for approximately 60 to 70 years. Essentially, they will be complicit in serial murder. And I'm saying this to my best friends, never, never to somebody's face, that would be culturally so rude. But in a written work, I say that. You're teaching your kids that it's okay to abuse and kill animals. And the kids are addicted to it by whatever age, five? I mean, I see your kids, and they're walking around with cucumbers and cherries and bananas, and they seem really happy and healthy <laughs> because that's how you nurtured them. Right. And you see other kids walking around, and you know my language, dead chicken in their mouth, dead pig in their mouth. Like those kids will never have the opportunity to de develop such compassion for all beings. Because you can't talk about the subject you and I always talk about, and we're talking in this hour here, about deep compassion. If we're eating animals, I have to hide that subject. Because if we start talking about it, I'm guilty of murder or serial murder or rape or theft or complicity in a crime, or conspiracy to kill, whatever the crime would be, when we extend that to all living beings, all living beings love life. Just as much as you and I and all of our friends and everybody watching, we all Right, love and I think this is a very powerful statement. I mean, we can talk for hours about this topic, but we can just break it down to really this simple sentence all beings they love life and that's something that i guess everyone agrees on because we can see right if if there is like a little animal and we try to catch it yes. they're trying to run away right they're, yes every every animal is fighting for their life so they want to protect life so let's help to protect life yes right yes Okay, so before we wrap this up, I've got a few more questions, more focusing a little bit on the, the plant-based vegan scene here in Thailand. And how did that, in, through your eyes, develop through the last, let's say, five years? In Chiang Mai, Nick, or in Thailand? Um, you can talk about both. Uh, if I, in, in that case, it's raining. I went vegetarian in 01, and I was living in Bangkok. There was one Italian place called Govinda on Tsukumit, let's say 22. There was a Singaporean uh, vegetarian place, let's say Tsukumit 26, and there was vegetarian cottage. That was it. That's what, how many that, years ago? That's 2001. Wow, okay. And you could get options. You could go to this Japanese restaurant or that Korean restaurant. And, and get the various options, but they're not like today, the scene in Bangkok today, in the last five years. I go back to Bangkok about once a year. And every time I go, there are 10 new restaurants for me to check out. Here in Chiang Mai, we've been living here, let's say about 10 years. And, and again, every year there are so many new restaurants. I'll give an example that the friend I had lunch with earlier today we try to go to a different vegan or vegetarian restaurant uh, every time we have lunch. We meet every few weeks. We've been doing this for a few years. We've never gone to the same place twice. Wow. And we talk today, it's like, we have to keep this going. <laughs> so today we over by the train station, there's a new place that opened up that, that has your cheese. In fact, we had a little, little Thai pizza with Swedish cheese on it. And it's like, wow, that was never there before. If you were anywhere near the train station, you had to go to the, the J or the Chinese type of vegetarian, which, which is luckily quite prominent in the, the Chiang Mai area. But now we have so many full-fledged places that I can't get to them all. They're opening up more quickly than, than I can get to them. Well, that is a very <laughs> great a, sign. It's a wonderful so thing. It's wonderful. The market is growing, that's for sure. We can see that happening. This, this is a vegan's paradise. Great. There are very, very few places that I know that would be able to compete um, Bali, I think it's Ubud, is quite a spiritual place. And everybody goes there for yoga and Reiki and for the plant-based vegan food. Right. And there's one probably in the Philippines. There's one in Cambodia. I don't know them personally, just, you know, hearsay. Right, right. Uh, and in Southern Thailand, there's Ga, uh, it's near Samui, Ga Ga Pangan. Pangan. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's famous for being 
real, real vegan paradise. But in terms of a city, I, I, I think we win hands down. I think Chiang Mai, Thailand is actually in the top 10 list worldwide of uh, most vegan friendly, like vegan friendliest cities. So I think, yeah, yeah top three is probably like Berlin, London. London for sure. Yeah. Berlin for sure. Uh, Paris, I don't remember. Uh, Tel Aviv is high up there. Right, Taipei right. is high up there. What's so great about Chiang Mai is if you did vegan vegetarian restaurants per capita, boom. Right. Because you have to figure London is, let me guess, 8 million people? I don't really know. Let's say 8 million people approximately. Well, Chiang Mai, what are we, half a million? Right. But we have tons of vegan restaurants. Exactly. So if anybody's wondering, well, where should I go on holiday? <laughs> Hello, I see you at the Paradise, airport. Paradise, right. This okay. is the place. Well, my last question, what is your vision for your personal vision or for Thailand even like in terms of the, the plant-based movement, the plant-based market or you can go deeper into that. What is something that you would like to see, um, you know, in the next five or 10 years happening? That is my new job, Nick. You know, I've been retired for 20 years, but now <laughs> I have a job. When you ask plant-based, uh, and Swiss fulfills that niche, you are plant-based for all kinds of reasons. And I totally support that, you know that. Also, it's the, the vegan consciousness. And that's why the new book, hands-on spiritual liberation is so close to being completely translated into Thai language. I have a vegan translator, not easy to find, but I found a woman in Bangkok who is a, uh, our friends Max and Joe recommended her. Her name is Panisha and she's translating the book into Thai. It'll be called which would come back to English as uh, awaken and liberate your life. So when can we expect your book to be out there and where to get it? The English version will be out sometime this month, available on Amazon, paperback, hardcover, and ebook. Um, I'm, I'll check my phone later to see if my ISBN came through. I had a little glitch with getting the, the, the book number from the library this morning. Uh, that's why I used your internet, uh, your Wi-Fi before we started. It's like, here, submit. It's Friday afternoon. <laughs> right. So so the English is ready to go. Uh, I have a local designer here. They're working on a book cover. That's why I was consulting with you about the text. What should we say on the back cover? So that'll be available worldwide. And then in Thailand, I was thinking November 1st, your daughter's fifth birthday and it's World Vegan Day. Right. So I, I, I would like to launch everything on the first, but I can't wait. I, I, like, I want to get this book going. And so the, the five-year uh, vision that I see is getting this book out to more and more people, getting people aware that there is a book that teaches meditation and Reiki and nutrition and consciousness and social media behavior, lifestyle. It goes even deeper into fasting detoxifying, uh, preventing or reversing diseases. It takes as deep we, as we can go. You know, drawing from Buddhism and from Christianity and from the, the, the Hindu traditions, drawing that in to our practice. So really it's a revolution. There's a little glitch here because I talk about the medical profession and their basic inability to solve problems. And if I may, Give one example. I talked to my neighbor yesterday. Uh, he's 40, 41 years old, has diabetes. He comes over, we talk about plant-based, plant-based. So he goes to the doctor. Doctor gives him three pills a day. A month later, four pills a day, five pills a day, six pills a day, seven pills a day. The diabetes is not going away. Of course not, because you haven't solved the root cause. Is the fats accumulated in your internal organs are making the cells unable to do their job. You stop eating those animal products and your blood sugar is going to come right down to normal and then you can eat a healthy plant-based diet. Your diabetes will be gone. You'll outlive your doctor. Can you imagine what doctors are going to say when they hear me talking about these things? Thomas Razienda is not a doctor. That's against the law. I have friends warning me, Tom, be careful what you say. 
Okay, so this is not medical advice. But doctors out there are explaining it is medical advice, but not from me. It's from T. Colin Cam uh, Campbell, Joel Furman, Neil Barnard, Dr. Greger. I mean, these are lifetime doctors who have saved the lives of so many people. If we can get this book into the hands of some Thai doctors and they start realizing, oh my God, all I do is give people drugs. I never get rid of the disease. I just treat the symptom and I see these patients month after month until they finally die from their cancer, from their heart disease, from their diabetes. The doctors are not doing their job. And this hurts because we have friends who are doctors. I have relatives who are doctors. I go to the doctor. I see my dentist or a skin doctor. I have some ailment. I can't heal naturally. I, I consult with doctors. So I think they need to be changing. But who am I? I just wrote the book. <laughs> That's a real powerful vision. Mm. And um, I love to see that. There's a lot of work. I need true. your help. <laughs> sure, we're all supporting and helping each other. So um, if people want to follow you, follow your work, what's, what's, where's the best place to connect with you? You're also, before we forget, mentioning that the owner of a, a Facebook group called Vegan Inspiration Thailand, right? Yes, and, and that's linked to the booklet we talked about earlier. Right. The best place to reach me would be my new website, which you helped inspire, because you're a bit younger than me. You said, Tom, you need a website, which is now going, being professionally designed by your designer. So we have, uh, it's thomasrodsienda.net, which we can put in the link to your podcast. Mm -hmm. And my YouTube channel, which I've always called Ajahn Tom, but I've also added Ajahn Tom Thomas Radzienda to, to give it a more international flavor, not just some guy in Thailand, but a human being on planet Earth speaking up for the well-being of all beings through meditation, Reiki, spirituality, hands-on healing, nutrition, all these things synthesized for a much better physical, personal, mental, spiritual health, social and cultural health, and the well-being of our planet. Well, that's a lot of work. I think these <laughs> are just amazing, beautiful closing uh, words here, Tom. Okay, thank, thank you so much. My pleasure. And for all thank the you. listeners and um, for you watching out here, if you enjoy this episode, then please help and share it with your friends. So help to share, inspire, educate, and connect with others. And Tom, thank you so much again. My pleasure, Nick. Great to have you here. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.